or sometimes it can be easy to see someone doing something and assume that it's not all that important when in fact it could be that they're doing something terribly important, you just haven't understood how that activity fits into the the bigger picture. Uh, Perhaps something even that's world-changing, that's going to change everything. It might appear to be mundane, inconsequential, but really it turns out to be something vitally important. A woman with a blowtorch is bending a glass tube. So what? Who cares? But but it's a glass tube that went into the reactor that enriched the uranium which would make the warhead for the fat man, the bomb that blew up Hiroshima, bringing it into the war in the Pacific. Uh, mundane looking task, bending a tube with a, with a blowtorch, but world changing purpose. Uh, a man tinkers with an engine and some wheels in a garage, so what? Maybe your husband does that, but... But he invents the first car, it's Carl Benz, and that revolutionises society. You join a church and you go along on Sunday mornings and there's a bunch of others and you're listening to an old book being read and talked about and and maybe you sing a few songs or if it's in COVID time, you hum a few with your mask on and uh, and you chat with some others afterwards and, and perhaps you even go a bit further and you get yourself on a roster or um, you know, help with some midweek activity and lots of people might look at that and think, what are you doing? So what? Who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't seem that important. Maybe you've even wondered that yourself if it really matters about church. But the reality is that you're doing something and taking part in something that's the most audacious and important movement that has ever existed in the history of the world and will ever exist. The church is something that God dreamed up before he created the world. It's something that he has designed and masterminded and crafted for a particular purpose and and he sustains the church and one day he's going to perfect it. And as each member of the church engages with it and contributes to the others, they are doing nothing less than furthering God's universal and eternal plans. As we wrap up our deep dive into Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see why, why it is that it all matters so much. Why the church? What is this thing called church that God dreamed up that he's building and that he's lavished so much of his attention on? What's his purpose in doing that? Because knowing that will help us see what our own part to play is and how significant a thing it is that we're doing together. And, and it'll set the focus for, for what we should be on about together. And I hope that you'll get a sense of thrill that comes from being part of something highly significant and, and give you a sense of direction and purpose for being part of it. For Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 17, envisages the church as a unified body made up of diverse people with different backgrounds and different abilities and skills and resources, all working together to fulfil the mission of God, which is a theme, of course, that runs right through the New Testament, but the letter to the Ephesians just really hammers it home. And so as we wrap up today, we're asking two questions. What's God's purpose for the church? And secondly then, what should our purpose be in being part of it? And then we'll think about some implications that might flow from that and challenges. So first question then is, what's God's purpose for this church that he has dreamed of and created? 
Well, Paul's been explaining right from the start of the letter what God's purposes and intentions are. But he goes from the biggest possible picture of his purposes and plans for the whole universe uh, and then works down as he goes through the letter to the place of the church and how does the church fit within that. And so chapter 1 begins with an amazing call for us to praise our God and Father. Why should we praise him? Because he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. If you're a Christian, then you've received every spiritual blessing there is to be had. Don't don't let anyone confuse you into thinking that there's more spiritual blessings somewhere else or that you've missed out because you're not this step of Christian. Uh, In fact, that first section in Ephesians chapter 1, he lists out what the spiritual blessings are, every blessing that God's given us. He's chosen us. He saved us. He's called us to himself. He's offered his son to die for us that we might be forgiven. He's he's adopted us as his children. He's given us his Holy Spirit to be a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance and who's with us each day. And three times as he recounts this great list of the blessings that God's given each and every Christian, he explains why he does that for people like us who really don't deserve uh, these amazing blessings. Why does he bless us like this? Well, chapter 1 and verse 6, he does it to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in Jesus, his beloved. Or in verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Or verse 14, he's given us with the Holy Spirit. That is, God himself is with us and dwells in our hearts when we trust Jesus to the praise of his glory. Why does God cherish us and save us and love us so that we can feel self-important and look down on everyone else around us? No, not that. But so that he might be praised and honoured and glorified, adored, magnified as the most wonderful the most glorious being in the whole universe. Now, if anyone else did that, engineered everything for their own glory that everyone might pay attention to them, we might call them arrogant, we might say they're up themselves. I mean, who do they think they are? God or something? Well, God is God. He is our maker. He sustains this world day by day and he is worthy of all glory and honour and power But the thing he really wants to be praised for and honoured for and glorified for is his generosity. That's what the word grace means. It's all to the praise of his glorious grace. And who better to glorify than the one who made us and who's given everything for us and, and who saves us? So that is God's broadest and biggest aim, that everything might be for the praise of his glory and grace. But it's not just an abstract idea that he had. There's a concrete way that he planned to achieve that and to bring that glory to himself. And he tells us what that is in verses 9 and 10. In fact, that's one of the blessings that God reveals to us what he's doing. And so in verse 9, in chapter 1, he made known to us the mystery of his will. This is God's secret planning. He's giving us his deep thinking. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. That's God's plan in a nutshell. 
That's why he set up the universe, to glorify himself by bringing everything and everyone to bow before Jesus. And they're going to do that, whether willingly and joyfully in this life, um, while, while he's still offering life and forgiveness and joy, uh, or whether forcibly at the judgment when every knee will be forced to bow before him and acknowledge the truth, but there'll be shame and contempt for those who stubbornly refused his grace and love and leadership during their life. But, but that's what God is doing bringing people to bow before, to submit to, to belong to, to to obey, to trust his wonderful and loving son, Jesus Christ, who is the king who would give his life as a ransom for many to bring pardon and freedom, the son who's conquered death and walked out of the grave, calling us to respond as his message of hope in Jesus is preached because that's how people are saved. That is how it is that people are restored. And in doing that, God joins those who he saved together into a new family. And that's who the church is. I'm talking about the true church, the, the church of God. right? It's the collection of people who've heard about Jesus and what he's offering and they've turned to him and, and they've found love and mercy, freedom and joy in Jesus Christ forgiven of of living for themselves uh, in rebellion and hostility against God and and restored in a right and wonderful relationship with God as their Heavenly Father. New people called to be part of a new family. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you'd know that if you've ever been part of a church for a long time. But uh, changed, forgiven, restored, being remoulded day by day. But also, and importantly, not alone. Right? Christianity is not and cannot be an individual religion. God's in the business of bringing people together, together with himself, but together with each other, even, even former enemies. Uh, and so chapter 2 talks about his purpose is to create one new humanity, a new humanity that, that where all the things that divide us, like race and culture and education level and background are, are erased and, and draw together as a church. But it's not till chapter 3 comes along that we're told why it is that the church is so significant in his plans. Why is it God saves people? Right? You can be glorified as the judge and just destroy everything because of the evil that's here. Uh, why is God saving people through the gospel? And why is he calling them into the church to gather together as one? And why not just save them individually? We'll pick it up from verse 10 in chapter 3. He says, this is all so that God's multifaceted wisdom, or in some of the other translations, he's all-surpassing wisdom, may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a pretty dense sentence, right? Just You might want to pause and uh, just reflect on that for a moment. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. 
This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's huge. Do you get that? Wow. God planned the church before he created the world. He masterminded history so that the church would come into being. He gave the life of his only beloved son to make the church possible and, and, and enable people to enter it. And he is still calling people and bringing them into his family. Why? To display his all-surpassing wisdom as a testimony against all the powers and principalities that exist in the universe. It's a testimony to the universe that God is wise and right and glorious. Uh, be they the spiritual powers or the physical ones, the temporal powers or the eternal ones, the church exists to demonstrate the magnificent wisdom of God. As one commentator puts it, I'm just going to read uh, from this commentator, the church lies at the very centre of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and being perfected in a future eternity. It's not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather build his church, that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. That's huge, isn't it? Don't ever think that church is just uh, a random add-on to God's purposes for you or for the world or for anything. And certainly don't treat it like it is either. One of the challenges and temptations that we face in a world which is so full on and where we're time poor and, and we want to have all the experiences that there are to, uh, to have and, and go on all the adventures. You know, we're in a world of technology and, and travel and, and, and we want to have all the family time as well and we want to do all of our hobbies. And uh, The temptation and the challenge is that we might push church to one side as pretty low on the priority list. Well, not to do that. It's, it's, it's very high up there on God's priority list, isn't it? And, and don't think either that your contribution and participation doesn't matter, right? Sometimes when you, you come along or you're, you're, you're mowing the lawn because you're on the mowing roster and it's your turn and, or you're running a kid's group or you're standing panels uh, for the new toilets, it, it can feel like it's just not that important, when you don't, you know, who, it doesn't matter if this is happening. When, when the reality is that you're contributing a vital piece to the most important and breathtaking and audacious thing in all of history, the very thing that God set up the universe for, the church, which is God's declaration to the powers of his wisdom and that Jesus is Lord. But if that's his purpose for church, and the reason for its existence, how does that affect us and what we do as a church and need to be doing and focusing on? What, what, what is he calling us to do and to be as, as, a, as a, a group of believers in Ingleburn and Macquarie Fields? What's our purpose? What's our mission? Well, if that's what God's doing, what should we be getting on and praying for and focused on and, and getting on with the bit as a church? Well, the answer's in our passage in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Now, David complained last week that I have long introductions to sermons. And you'll be pleased to know this is the longest one I've ever done and we're finally here in our passage right now. But in our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uses two different words to describe what the church is to do. What are we on about? Which, which pretty much mean the same thing, the two words. So to grow and to build. One, one's organic and, and one's kind of structural, but, but to grow and to build. It's in the last paragraph of our section. In verses 9 to 11, he, he lists a whole bunch of people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, but he, he says the church isn't about those people, right? It's not for them and for their kingdoms and glory. It's not so they can show off and build little empires. No, what are they there for? Why has God brought them along? Well, verse 12, God gives them to equip the saints, that is, the Christian believers who make up the church, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach mature, uh, unity in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Right? Growing, building, as each part does its work. See it again in verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So that sums up the mission of the church, to grow and to build. But what sort of growth and what sort of building are we to be doing? We're certainly doing a building project of the, uh, the, the Taj Mahal's toilets or something at the moment, but, but he's not talking about making great edifices like St Andrew's Cathedral or perhaps St Paul's in Canterbury, is he? he? Because the church isn't the building. We can build the church, but it's not the building that is the church. It's the people. He's talking about growing and building the congregation. And he's talking about growing and building it in two different directions. He's talking about growing it up and building it up and, and growing it out and building it out. Uh, there's up. Uh, we are called to help each other and our church to grow up, to be built up. That is to grow towards maturity, growing to be more and more like our master Jesus. So, you know, and it said, you know, into the fullness of Christ. What does that look like? What does that mean? What are the signs that, that we would be doing that and maturing and growing each other? What, what, what does maturity even look like? Well, oh, and there's lots of signs and you could probably list a bunch yourself. But it includes, it's not limited, but it includes uh, growing in the knowledge of God and of his ways, right? Learning how to handle his word, the Bible. It, it includes growing in zeal and in passion for God's glory and reorienting life to think, well, how can, how can we together and individually serve God wholeheartedly? It includes a growing commitment and loyalty to God and to his ways. It, it includes growing in dependence on God and not relying on ourselves, but him who is the Lord of all as we pray and commit all our ways and our plans and our resources to him. Growing by by putting sin to death and putting on godly character, changing, learning to forgive instead of hate uh, and to be generous rather than take and, and to speak the truth in love and, and, and learning how to take people seriously 
right? Not just write them off. It, it includes growing in the ability to discern good from evil and truth from lies. That includes you know, being able to see and discern where the devil's at work, undermining, because you can be sure he hates the church, right? He, he riles against it and it's a testimony against him and he wants to bring it down however he can. All the sorts of things that the rest of the book of Ephesians from the second half of chapter 4 onwards goes on to talk about. That, that's growing up, that's building up, helping each other develop and be all of those things and more. Right? Now, having good families that honour God and reflect the gospel and you know, our work practice, there are so many things. But it's not just growing up. It's growing out as well and multiplying and, and reaching out. As we hold out the word of life about Jesus in the gospel that saved us, we offer it to others that they might join us and be part of this monumental thing that God is building called the church. Right? To his glory, not to ours. Right? For his kingdom, not ours. We, we seek to reach others before they face God in judgment that they might bow the knee willingly and joyfully, receiving his grace and forgiveness, as we have, rather than face his wrath and condemnation when they're forced to do it at the end. See, Christianity is, and it must be, well, we already said it's not a solitary religion, but it must be a missionary religion, right? Christianity is not about private religious experiences and my relationship with God. I mean, that's important, but... That's not why God has called us into existence, right? It's, it's for holding out the word of life to others. And the important thing that Ephesians 4 is emphasising that we've been banging on for now for, for some weeks over summer is that we have to do this work of building and growing together, united, collaborating, each one using the gifts and skills, the talents and resources given by God and at our disposal to grow his church. Grow it up, grow it out. I think it's fascinating that he uses this image of the body and it's so regular a feature in the New Testament and it's so helpful when you reflect on it. You think of your own body. It's made up of all sorts of weird and wonderful bits and pieces. Um, you know, you've got, you got arms and legs, you've got kidneys, you've got you know, uh, gallbladder, or maybe some of us have had that removed, but you know, most of us have a heart, well, all of us have got a heart, hopefully, <laughs> lungs, and you've got a uvula, you know, that weird dangly thing at the back of your throat, you and you go, ah. <laughs> uh, and that's one of my favourite parts of the body, because uh, uh, it's so entertaining when you look at it. And, uh, uh, imagine, for a moment though, if if only I don't know, a quarter of the parts of your body decided to participate in and do their work this week, right? That your liver only wanted to be on 10% of the time, uh, one of your kidneys decided uh, he's going for a holiday, uh, didn't want to participate anymore and, and the other one said, well, you know what, I might only want a roster on every second day. Um, and, and, and imagine that neither leg... Uh, decided to join in and only one arm started contributing to your health and your survival. Uh, I imagine the heart would have to uh, stick around and have to pull its weight or you'd be dead already. But, but one lung went on strike and the other one was only at a third of its capacity and a bit bored. 
Now, you might just be able to survive if that was the case. But you're sure not going to grow, are you? You're certainly not going to thrive. If, it was the, if that was the case, in fact, you'd be well on your way to shriveling up and dying. And, and exactly the same with church. You don't have to be a big church to grow and build and thrive and multiply. You've got to be a committed church, right? With all the members contributing and wanting to be part of what's going on and not falling asleep at the wheel, right? And understanding what the purpose is. One of the regular things you hear about churches all over the place is that uh, the 20-80 principle, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work or that 20% of the people give 80% of the giving. And if that's the case, if that's what is the reality out there in churches all over Sydney and Australia, is it any wonder that the churches in Sydney are in decline? 70% of the Anglican parishes in at the Sydney Diocese are in decline, right? They, they peaked some years ago and they're, they're just on a long, slow death. They might still have hundreds of people. They may look like they're healthy and alive, got great facilities, you know, multiple staff, but they're on this long, slow death. And, and, and they might blame it on the culture change. They might blame it on all kinds of factors around and government restrictions and COVID and that's why all our problems. No, 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 no. No, surely here's the heart of the problem, right? That the, the people who make it up aren't invested and aren't contributing. One of the wonderful things about Barney's these last few years is is we've got a much higher percentage of people actively engaged and participating and praying for and contributing time, money and energy towards you know the church than the average. It's been fantastic. It's not, I mean, it's not 100%, but you know we, we punch above our weight. I think of the 35 leaders that we've got in, in our different groups, uh, the numerous people who are on all the different rosters, uh, both the in-church and for things during the week, the, the scripture teachers that we have, um, the, the people who come down to church and pitch in for random tasks, the mowing and building toilets, the, the, I think of the people who are involved in, in ministries outside of here, but building God's church, right, God's kingdom, right? The, the, you know, we've got an evangelist that works for the city uh, Bible forum. We've got uh, someone who's, you know... Uh, uh, about to become part of the board of Open Doors Australia. We've got um, people working for CMS, you know, the missionary agency. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. It's a wonderful thing. We've got people who come down on a weekend and pitch in to dig trenches or uh, help build toilets or, or mow the lawns. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's something that we should be praising God for. And guess what? You know, we've got this really healthy percentage of people who are participating and guess what? We're growing. Uh, growing up and growing out. Building up, building out. We're on the right track. Could we do better? Sure we could, but praise God. And even better, people are challenging themselves by trying new things and having a go. Uh, Trudy Richards, just last weekend, learned to sand wood panels uh, as part of the construction project. She's never done any woodwork in her life, she tells me. Turns out, quite an enjoyable thing, right? James Mayfield, right, gets a phone call uh, from someone who found his phone number on the construction site. If you've got any issues about the construction, call this number here, right? The person rings and says they'd like to know how to receive forgiveness. 
he, he tries to get me. He's like, ah, oh, someone's got to tell this person. Uh, so uh, when he couldn't get onto me, he went down himself, met up, and explained the gospel to this person just this week, right? Outside of his comfort zone, certainly, but having a go, right? Great job. And, and I'm sure he'd much rather swap with Trudy, right, and do the woodwork. Um, she may well have wanted to swap too, but. But how do you find out what your gifts are and what you're good at unless you have a go, right? You may surprise yourself. You may surprise other people. Uh, and guess what? He's glad too. Here's two people who, who get what God's on about and, and who get what the church is supposed to be on about and who throw themselves in and they have a go, right? Even if it's outside of their comfort zones because... They want to play their part in this magnificent thing that God is doing, building and growing God's church so that God might be praised and glorified as the most magnificent, the most wonderful, the most wise, the most generous, which he is. There is no one more worthy than God to receive all of our attention, is there? But let me wrap up by asking some questions to reflect and ponder for yourself. What do we do with all that? First one, what's my own personal vision for what the church is and what it's for? I mean, that's something to think through yourself. What's your personal vision of the church? What's it for? Does that vision exist? <laughs> you didn't even think about it. Or maybe it exists, but does it need to be reviewed? Right in the light of what we've been looking at. Second question, what's my part and what's your part in, in the building up of the body? You may well know what your part is already and praise God and, and you're getting on with it and that's wonderful, yeah, that's great. Um, and, and I want you to know that your contribution, whatever it is, is very, very valuable and, and it's great. But, but maybe you don't know what your part is or what you could be involved in or doing and you don't know what your gifts are and, uh, and you don't know where the opportunities to serve might be or uh, what is something I could have a go at and try and extend myself. Well, well good news, that's why we've got Adam on staff now. <laughs> He's here to help uh, our members work through their, their gifting and, and see the opportunities and all that kind of thing and he'd love to help you work through any of those questions if you've got them yourself. Um, yeah, and he's very friendly and uh, um, yeah, take the opportunity, uh, take, him up, take him out for, uh, well he won't have a coffee or tea, he'll have a milkshake or something because he doesn't drink caffeine. But <laughs> uh, Third question to reflect on, what wins have you witnessed in the life of our church? Now, it's good to celebrate wins. Where are we seeing the growth both up and out? Uh, some of us are pessimists by nature and we're easily discouraged. But, but, but look around and think around. Think who have you seen change and growing as a believer? Think what, what has God been doing? Who, who's new to church? Um, who's become a Christian over the time that you've been part of it? And I'll tell you what, though it might seem like nothing ever happens, but you look back over the years and we've gone from being a church of 80 people with four kids in 2009 to a church with 373 on the roll, with 200 on average at church each week just before COVID hit and, and, 
you know, I can think of something like 70 people who've come to Christ over that time. Uh, maybe you're one of them. Fourth question to reflect on. What changes might I need to make to my priorities and plans and even to my timetable in order to value what God values and to be uh, play my part or a better part in this thing that God is building, this monumental thing called the church? Right? Not necessarily Barney's, but the church, right? The, what God is doing in the world. His church, which he loves and which he planned for before the world even began, which he's still growing today and will perfect in eternity all to his praise and glory. And maybe a fifth question to ask, what, what about our structures, our programs and our facilities is, is helping or hindering us with growing and building up and building out to the praise of his glorious grace, that his wisdom might be shown to the powers that be, that God might be honoured and that people might come willingly and joyfully under the lordship of Jesus. What's helping, what's hindering? Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your word which challenges us to think bigger thoughts and deeper thoughts. We thank you that you tell us your plans and purposes for the world. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, the King who everyone is coming under and you are bringing everyone to, willingly or unwillingly. And so, Father, we pray that many will come willingly and we pray that we might play our part in that as a church. Right? Help us uh, raise up more evangelists amongst us and teachers to encourage us. We pray that you might help us to cooperate and work well together with all of our different skills and gifts and we pray that each of us might learn what our part is to play in this wonderful project of bringing glory to you through the building of your church. Father, we pray for fresh vision. We pray for energy. We thank you for the people who seem to be tireless workers and very generous. We pray that you would sustain them and help us all to be like them, right? To know um, how we can uh, pitch in and help. We thank you for Adam coming on team and we pray that you help him in his particular work of recruitment, deploying and, 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 and training up and enthusing for ministry and we pray for the conversations that he's had and having and will have, uh, that they be really fruitful and so we pray, Father, that you might help us to, to remember what your purposes are and to align our work as a church with what you are doing and intend. And we pray this all for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.